Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. I really wanted to start this morning with a Twilight reference uh, for the benefit of some folks who are joining us over Zoom, but um, I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So instead, I'm going to make a Lord of the Rings reference. And uh, I, I think this is an, an image I've used before. Again, a lot of times here, we try to walk through scripture kind of systematically, um, and, and uh, this, this last couple of weeks have been a little bit different. We're, we're picking up uh, some themes about, um, to describe what kind of community we want to be, and, and those, for us, those are those four words, to know and follow Jesus. Everything starts there, right, and, and, and lives there, everything. All, all of us, that is always the call. Uh, uh, no matter where we are in the journey of faith, we, we never outgrow uh, the need for that. Uh, submission to that call to know and follow Jesus. Uh, but then out of that, you know, welcome and serve. Those are another couple of words around here that we've used to characterize the kind of community um, that we think happens as a result of, of knowing and following Jesus. And uh, so over these last few weeks, and rather than we've spent a lot of time in John's gospel and some of John's letters, but uh, we're just kind of looking at some of these themes in scripture. And today we're in Hebrews, and there's a lot in this reading. But uh, again, to circle back to almost to twilight, but uh, nowhere close really. Uh, an image from Lord of the Rings that, that has uh, resonated with me uh, around the uh, theme of welcome and serve, which is where we are this morning. Uh, and it's, it's that moment, it's, it's a moment, if you're familiar with the story, right, uh, this great trilogy, this quest, they're on a quest, they're on their way, and, and along this journey, this band of uh, uh, adventurers, right, on, on a quest, they find themselves... Uh, at a moment on their journey, uh, if you'll recall, at the home uh, of Elrond, the house of Elrond. And uh, it's early in the journey and, and late in the journey for others. It's this place where all, all these people at different stages of their journey uh, are converging. And some of them, again, are just beginning to head into dangerous places. And some are sort of on the, the, twi- on the twilight end of that journey. Uh, but the, there's some conversation about uh, what happens here in this place. And there's conflict and there's conversation. And, and uh, they're trying to decide what to do. And some are there finding rest. Uh, lots is happening in the house of Elrond, but uh, uh, a description uh, in, in this moment, uh, we hear Frodo say, uh, or a description of Frodo, the main character here, Frodo was now safe in the last homely house east of the sea. This is beautiful already. You feel relaxed and at home already, don't, don't you? That house was a perfect house, whether you like food or sleep, or storytelling or singing, or just sitting and thinking best or a pleasant mixture of them all. Merely to be there was a cure for weariness, fear, and sadness. And it's that description that has just uh, 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 hung with me, that that sort of pops up in my life at different times, but particularly when I think about the theme for this morning, which the Martha Stewart version of the word, and we find it in scripture, is hospitality. But this practice, this Christian uh, practice in virtue of welcoming and serving uh, others, that, that description that merely to be there, merely to be there, was a cure for weariness and fear and sadness. I can think of a lot of ways I would want to describe my home, my life, our church. Uh, but if I could live up to uh, this description, that uh, merely to be in and around uh, this community or in my home would be a cure for weariness or fear or sadness. Again, three qualities that 
are not in short supply in our world at this particular moment. Uh, it just strikes me as a really beautiful uh, description. And again, we're continuing our conversation on, on, on what it means around here. To, to Really, the impetus behind this for me has been, what does it mean to be the church at a moment when it just looks so different? Like physically different. Uh, we, we've been meeting at nine o'clock before a service uh, on Zoom with folks who aren't uh, comfortable coming back. Or, you know, obviously we haven't been running kids ministry, so it's hard for families to get back in here. So we're like church just looks so different. And, and we're meeting uh, over Zoom to, 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 again, talk about, just connect with one another and uh, not something we would have done previously. Uh, you know, just the, the nature even of this moment and your experience of our time together different than what had been normal for us. And so we, we've been, uh, I, again, as, as a pastor, have just been thinking about, God, what does it look like for Park City to, to be healthy and, um, and to grow, to, to, to look forward to the future, to be the kind of place that merely to be here as, as a place where people encounter God's grace and call to know and follow Jesus is a place that is a cure for weary and fear and sadness. And again, as we've said already, all of that for us, our conviction up here, uh, uh, just to be up front, is all of that starts uh, and ends with knowing and following Jesus. Uh, all of it uh, flows uh, into, out of, from, like all of it. He is the source of, of this uh, whole uh, conversation here. And so we've spent the last couple of weeks uh, thinking about that, that it means for us to be the church means what it has always meant. That we are a community of people uh, on this adventure of, of, of trying to know and follow Jesus. And church can be a lot of things. And we, in our culture, make it about a lot of things. But at its heart, uh, what defines us as a community is that we are a community of people trying to uh, continue on this journey of knowing and following Jesus. And we saw last week, that means rejecting, the, the word in the passage we read was hating, any other definition of life. Right? That the world's going to give us, feed us all kinds of definitions of what it means to live a rich and meaningful life, of what the picture of that life might look like. And as we saw last week, that, that uh, this initial call means re- rejecting all of those and, and, and pushing all the chips into the table or all the eggs into the basket or whatever other uh, overused cliche we, we want to use here into trusting Jesus and his, uh, his definition of life and his invitation to follow him. And again, uh, that's where we started last week, but this week we continue into sort of what flows out of that, and that the the more we begin to know and follow Jesus, specifically in his call to lay down our lives, that one result of that will be uh, a community and a life, lives uh, that welcome and and serve others. Uh, explicitly, again, in our reading this morning, it's the word hospitality. I think it's verse uh, two, the language there. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Right? Again, just uh, re- really, really direct, right? I think as we step into this passage, and there is a lot of stuff here, and we won't consider all of it, um, but I think it's helpful just to kind of back up and think about the context. So at the end of chapter 12, again, Hebrews is a really rich letter, and that's uh, very careful to, to, again, rich in its religious imagery. It's, it's uh, situating Jesus in this whole Old Testament history of worship and God's work in the world and his kingdom. And uh, Hebrews moving towards showing us that Jesus 
uh, is unique in that uh, expression of that kingdom and the fulfillment of all that worship and all of that practice in the past. And so we get to the end of uh, chapter 12, just before our reading, and he's talking about this moment, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This, again, really rich Old Testament language and image of the holiness and righteousness of God. And, and again, all of the letters kind of been moving us towards this moment. So out of that declaration, God's kingdom, the invitation to worship him, to acknowledge him as holy uh, and, and outside of us, right? Um, that uh, out of that, he steps right into this, it seems like a sudden shift, these concluding statements, this whole list of things, right? Just it's a whole list of practices. Uh, uh, we could just give to you, say, all right, go do these things, right? And they're, they're here. You can read them with me. Love each other. Uh, practice hospitality. Care for the imprisoned. Care for those who are mistreated. Honor marriage vows. Don't love money. Be content. I mean, it's just a, it's like a bullet point of like, uh, here's some instructions for you to follow if you want to uh, know what the worship of this holy, our God is a consuming fire God may look like. Well, this is what a life lived in in, uh, in light of that revelation uh, might, might look like. And, and he starts again, it's that language at the beginning, love each other and, and practice hospitality. It's an interesting list, right? Th- those two in particular, uh, it's uh, the, the, the language it's, it's, a, it's a really close parallel, literally love brother and love stranger, right? That, that, that it comes to us a little bit differently, practice hospitality, love each other, but it's, it's, it's a really clear uh, expression, love your brothers and sisters and love the stranger. And uh, the way that's expressed is, is through hospitality here. Again, it's an interesting list if you just sort of take it all uh, as one, right? I, I feel like reading it, you're like, okay, this makes a lot of sense, love each other, be kind to others, care for the imprisoned. And then he just throws into the middle of that this command to honor marriage vows, which again, on this particular list, just feels out of place. Um, but, but again, I think all of them uh, related, right? All of them connected as a way in which uh, you are showing care for others, right, in, in the community, by respecting these vows, by honoring uh, th- this call, by serving others, by caring for the poor, that all of these things are, are related uh, as in uh, the way in which they all honor the other, and, and by the recognition that to ignore them doesn't just harm yourself, but harms the community, harms the people around you, that all of these are actions or practices that have implications for others, and it's really the language we've, we've been reflecting on for a, lo- a long time. When Jesus is called to lay down our lives uh, for others, that, that all of these are related. That love or care for others, again, even if we just jump uh, down to the end, right there, verse five, don't love money. So this long list of caring for others, and then you get to like, don't love money, but be content. Again, seems like a, a random list, but then you consider that, that what he's saying here is that, that a love of money, a, a love of money is incompatible with the, with the love uh, of others. That, that, uh, that there is a, there's a correlation here between this value and this call and, and how we treat other people and its effect on other people. That the love or care for others is incompatible with the love uh, of money or our own security. That one of those will win at the expense of the other. I, maybe like many of you, uh, I, I, I've just, uh, at this particular moment, I've been trying to do some reading again to understand and, and uh, 
maybe appreciate the, uh, the difficulty of the, the cultural moment that we're in in the conversation about race. And uh, I, one, this is, again, just this is kind of an extreme example, but I feel like captures the, the, the relationship between these two, between caring for others and uh, loving money and how those two may or may not be compatible. But uh, in writing about a history of, of racist ideas and thoughts uh, in America and their development, uh, Kendi made this observation. The, author, uh, the author's name is Kendi, but, he, but he, he says we kind of think of like uh, the way we think about others kind of flows from this um, uh, uh, corrupt or uh, racist person. And that out of that flow, all of these ideas. And he kind of wants to flip that on its head and says, well, well really, and, and by way of example, again, he makes the assertion that really we, we have the order the, the wrong way around. That it's not that like uh, the way we think about others then affects the way we treat them, but that in its history, it, it, it kind of uh, happens a, a bit differently. That really uh, racist ideas grow out of a need to justify our, our own kind of exploitative practices, right? So he says, again, whether that's uh, sort of our economic interests or political or cultural, all of those self-interests, we're, we're, kind of, we're grasping at all of these things and in a need to justify that reach, uh, we then start to think differently about, about others and justify, justify that grasping uh, with language and attitudes and ideas and beliefs that, that make it easier for me to distance the people around me, which is an interesting move and one that I think is right here in the heart of this passage, that, that loving strangers and loving brothers and sisters and caring for the people around us, that being uh, people who've been shaped by, as we'll see, what Jesus has done and uh, laying our lives down, that it's hard to do that at the same time, to love the people around, to, to, to welcome, to, 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 to love. It's, it's hard to do that while also grasping uh, at our own security, at our own love for money, as it's put here in this passage. Again, it's, it's, it's an extreme example, but one that I think helps us understand, I hope, the relationship between this, this whole list of things here. I don't think it's an accident, again. So that's, that's I mean, it's, it feels just like a, just a bullet point list of like, if we were, if you're a, if you're a list person, that's not all of us. I know that's probably some of us in the room. If you're a list person, this is probably really great. Give me this list. I can tick off these boxes, you know, and we're all good. But, uh, but the behind them, as we'll see in just a few minutes, at the heart of this is, again, at, at the call, and all of these things is uh, to allow what God has done change the way we uh, relate to others. That we start by knowing and following Jesus, but one result of that will be welcoming and serving others. And that will have an expression uh, as varied as this list here, as not getting wrapped up in our own security and contentment, but, but, but holding those things loosely in a way to share them. As, as welcoming those who are different, strangers here, uh, welcoming them, uh, practicing hospitality, as loving each other in moments of crisis and need, that, that it, it will have a variety of expressions, honoring, marriage vows, all of these things uh, will be ways in which we love um, the other. Again, so it's, it's not an accident, I don't think, that hospitality kind of leads the list here. Again, by way of context, it's interesting. So this letter probably addressed and written to a community of early Christians who were under persecution, right, whose lives were under threat. Uh, they were uh, perhaps, like for, for all intents and purposes from the outside, their existence threatened and tenuous, suffering, vulnerable. And, and yet, 
Because of what Jesus has done, the author concludes, even in all of that vulnerability, I'm calling you to practice hospitality, to open your life up to others, to, to, to help, again, I don't know if this is the best definition, but to help others feel it at home, uh, to practice hospitality. I, uh, I thought of an, another example. I'm sure uh, many of you are kind of following the news this week and what's happened in, in Beirut, the explosion in, in Beirut. And if you were here last week, uh, we had a, a new missionary family that we're excited to kind of partner with here at Park City Church. But uh, I was having coffee with him later in the week uh, on the day that that, that, that happened. And uh, he's actually doing some graduate work from a school just outside of Beirut. And as we were chatting, uh, he, he was uh, you know connecting with people there kind of in that moment. We were just kind of chatting about what was happening. And if, if you're familiar with, again, sort of the, the tragedy of what has happened there, uh, in the week that's followed, a bit of the news that's come out, uh, and, and his particular graduate school is a part of this, so COVID has shut them down. Their, their, their rooms are like vacant because students are back. So what they've done is they've partnered with an, a movement on the ground there, uh, uh, which uh, translated from Arabic means our homes are open. Our homes are open. So our home, uh, uh, the movement, our home, your home. And, and people, they're recognizing that in the, the radius of this blast, so many people displaced that uh, this our home, your home ministry and, and this graduate school now participating, opening, literally opening their homes for, for strangers at, at a moment of vulnerability and crisis uh, to, to, to practice hospitality, to welcome others. And that again is... is an extreme example, but as I think about this practice for us here, you know, what, what does it mean? What, what does it mean for us as a church during a time of physical distancing, right? When, when uh, maybe engaging in company and community with, with one another is different than it ever has been, and there's all sorts of rules and parameters and barriers to that. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean to practice hospitality, to, to practice this this uh, call to love one another and the stranger, and, and the stranger. Uh, I wish I had a really clear answer to that question, right? I, I wish I, I, you know, I could just kind of give you uh, a really clear answer. Again, and it strikes me too in this moment when it's not just a physical distance, but that there's a, a distancing, a fracturing in, in our society and culture for all kinds of reasons. And, and that in the midst of kind of holding both the physical, but also the social and racial and political, all these divisions that are kind of uh, highlighting the differences and driving us apart, what's it mean to love the stranger, to practice hospitality? Uh, again, a part of the conversation uh, in this particular moment is a recognition that it's easier for some people to feel at home than others. That uh, so much in uh, in our lives that we take for granted, perhaps in my life, that that uh, this is there's a, a growing recognition or admission. I think that oh wow, it's it's uh, uh, it seems as though uh, it's easier for some to feel at home than others. And in the midst of that kind of context, again, what does it mean for us to step into the Christian practice of welcoming and serving others? I think uh, if we could, if I could use the language of, of the passage here. Um, so he, he begins by loving one another and then says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. And this, I think, if, if I could use this language, I think for you and I to practice hospitality, one, one step we could take would be to be, are we mindful of others as though they were Christ 
right, in, in our midst. So, so behind this move, right, behind this move, it's like practice hospitality, welcome strangers, because in so doing, you may be entertaining angels. And I was, just, I kind of dismissed that as this, uh, which is a wrong move on my part in, in a moment of confession. It's just, it, it's supernatural. And I, yeah, I kind of read quickly past that, but he's drawing on all this Old Testament images that, that looming in the background of this passage are stories uh, in, in, in the Old Testament of God showing up to people un- unexpectedly and that revelation happening through their welcoming of strangers. Stories about Abraham in Genesis 18, or Gideon in Judges chapter 6, if you want to go check them out later, or Manoah in Judges 13, and the story of Samuel. You get, you get these examples of, through their practice of, of, of opening their lives up to welcome others, uh, they discover something, something more in their midst. But, but also present in the background of this image, I think, is this, the New Testament image we get in Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus is speaking to those who would follow him and uses that imagery of whatever you have done to the least of these, and uses the language of prisoners and outsiders, strangers, whatever you have done to them, you have done to me. And it's, it's this picture of, uh, well, man, am I mindful of others? Am I mindful of others in a way that at least uh, admits or is open to the possibility that Christ is meeting me here? And I think that uh, has some implications. But if, even if we just move forward a little bit, uh, he, he goes on to say, so practice hospitality, but then remember those in prison as though you were there yourself. Am I mindful of the experience of others as if, as if that experience were mine? And when I think about my engagement with strangers and neighbors and friends in that way, I think it, again, has implications for how, how we engage. Hori moves just, again, a little further. Remember also, those being mistreated, as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Mindful, again, are we mindful of the experience of others, as if their pain and struggle and uncertainty were our own. I, 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 again, I think there are no easy answers to this question. And as a pastor here, processing what does it look like for us to be the kind of church that, that steps into these virtues. But I, I do think it's worth thinking about. That, that what would it look like for me to allow that kind of mindfulness of others to shape uh, how I talk online? Or to shape how I engage with my neighbor? Or to shape how I respond to, to my coworker, or to shape uh, how I step into uh, even even larger things, who I welcome into my life, or or maybe who I help to feel at home uh, in in theirs. Um, I think again, it's a it's a it's not an easily answered question, but one worth considering. What would it look like for me to allow the discipline of knowing and following Jesus? to make me mindful of others. Uh, I, I think, I, I try to think of a couple examples around Park City. Uh, and this, again, has, has had different expression around here at different times. Um, and it might look a little bit differently and, and not ways in which all, all of you would engage, but there's a small group of, of folks here at Park City that have stepped into this practice of hospitality ar- around uh, the, the, the current conversation around race and, and trying to educate and, and look for ways uh, to help others feel it at home. And actively engaged in, 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 trying, uh, in trying to live into this, 
practice. Some in our community participating in fostering, like literally helping others to to feel uh, at home. Some here, again, we're in a weird season as a church and I kind of want to break for the summer, but when it comes to small group, creating moments and opportunities for community in spaces that that are COVID appropriate uh, so that people uh, can can feel, uh, uh, again, at home. This is a practice. There's more to it, but it's a practice of, of hospitality. Some in our community anonymously have reached out and, and have, have stepped into providing like groceries for people in, in, in our Park City family that they have, they've, they've maybe probably never met over the course of their time in our church, but, but wanting to, to, to step into the care of others as if it were their own uh, need and anonymously uh, stepping into, again, helping others feel at, at home. I think as a church, we're still kind of talking about what that might look like more organizationally. But what I hope is clear is that as individuals, uh, that all of us are on this journey of, of uh, not only knowing and following Jesus, but letting the effects of that trickle into how we look at and consider and engage with the people around us. Even when we're physically distanced or distanced for all kinds of other reasons, that this call is still present still a part of laying down our lives. But uh, at the risk of you hearing everything I've said today as a just moral checklist, right? Like if you just do all of these things, the passage doesn't stop there. And it doesn't, it doesn't just end with this great uh, sort of, here, go do all of these things. It, it presses us, as we've seen over and over again, uh, a, a little bit further, that the, the risk here is that we sort of lean into these as, well, if I just do these things, uh, they become their own kind of means of salvation, right? That this is the way that I know life and experience life. And in a strange bit of irony, I think, it becomes a new measure for kind of who's a stranger and who's not. Well, somebody's not doing these things enough, and there, uh, you know, we, we, we're back to distancing people, and Christ has called us to lay it down our lives on behalf of the people around us. But, but, but thankfully, this passage doesn't root our practice of hospitality uh, in our own sort of ability to empathize. Because if that were the case, we would all be lost. Um, if we keep reading, and we actually didn't read it this morning, uh, but in the verses that follow, just let me read them to you now. Uh, it, it, he'll continue, he'll pick up with a bit of Old Testament imagery. And then he will say, uh, the writer will say in verse 12, So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace that he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. So if you're ever going to go back and read this, uh, again, just by way of structure, all of these instructions to practice hospitality, to care for those in prison, as if that were your experience, uh, all of these things, to, to, to value marriage and, and those vows and commitments, to, uh, to, to be content and, and uh, not love money, all of those things now uh, he, he, he are on the way to what is really the theological kind of climax or conclusion of this whole letter. He's been talking about all these worship practices and sacrifices of the Old Testament, all of that. And he's saying all of that is finding its expression of Jesus who went outside the camp on your behalf and mine, right? That in this passage that, that he suffered and died outside the city, bore all of that sin and shame uh, himself. So let us then go out 
to him that he went outside the camp in a sense, in a sense saying, right, he became estranged. He became a stranger so that we might uh, be at, at home. That, that, he, that he became an outsider so that we might know uh, welcome. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's a climax, right? It's, it's, a, it's a, a really crucial moment in this letter. And, and, and the writer then is rooting his call to practice hospitality, to, uh, to visit prisoners, to, again, observe boundaries and sexuality. All these kinds of things are tied, are tied to our experience of Christ, God himself laying down his life on the cross, going out, outside the camp on, on our behalf. Uh, it's an interesting, again, move. And here's, here's why I think it's an important point to consider this morning. So the call to all of us is to, to uh, step into this call to know and follow Jesus and to welcome and serve others. But that this call begins or flows from the truth that we are all sinners. That apart from Jesus going outside the camp, this would be just one other moral burden we would try to bear and unsuccessfully attempt to live into. And, and that, 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 that all of this is only possible because we are ourselves recipients of God's radical hospitality that he has welcomed us. And, and again, I, I think it's worth noting that this is not just a, a kind of mushy, sentimental you know, inclusivity, right? That this is not just like, uh, this is really, this is not saying uh, all are welcome and nobody needs forgiveness. That this is, this is not that. Rather, this, uh, this is saying that everyone needs forgiveness because we're all sinners. But we're sinners in the hands of a gracious God who himself has gone outside the camp. And so the writer of Hebrews lands uh, in verse 15, that it's our allegiance to the one who has brought us home, that we were strangers. It's a theme throughout Hebrews, and even we read it, that we were sojourners, that we, were, uh, we, we, we are not at home, that, that God is the one who brings us home, that we, we are sinners, but Christ has gone outside the camp, that our allegiance to the one has, who has brought us home such that we know uh, what it is merely to be there, merely, merely to rest in his grace is to know the cure for weariness, fear, and sadness. I want to leave you with, with one more image. You guys can come on up. We're, we're going to sing... Uh, we're going to sing one more song before we dismiss, but I want to circle back to an image that, uh, that he started with. We talked about marriage and uh, how, how does all of this relate. And... Uh, Justin and I just celebrated 19 years uh, a few weeks, a week or so ago, which, yeah, right? Man, yeah. You should really applaud her, but uh, she's managed to put up with me for 19 years. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Jess. Um, uh, but I just want to circle back to this image of marriage. So I was, I was, uh, a while back, uh, again, ha- having been 19 years, one thing I've learned is that I have a lot to learn. And I uh, was, was reading a book about marriage, but the author was careful to, to point out that it's not a book about marriage. He said this is a book about grace. Uh, specifically, right, keen to point out it's not a book about marriage, a book about grace that we discover in the Christian faith. And then by way of application, right, how that grace might affect marriage. And over the course of talking about it, he, he made this observation that, again, and, uh, has just has stuck with me, that grace frees you. Grace, the grace that we find in Christ, frees you 
In other words, to be ordinary. That it, that it, it takes off the pressure to live up to standards that we could never attain to. Not least of all, ones like we've read here. That the grace frees us to be ordinary. That, that what is miraculous about what Jesus has done, what we read, what I read to you here of, of Jesus going outside the camp, this Old Testament image of sacrifice and sin and, and how it's dealt with, that Jesus took all of that, all of our brokenness. The miraculous fact that Christ's perfect righteousness somehow now becomes our record, our permanent record. That is an experience of grace. And he says that move frees us he uses the language of unrelenting oughts. I ought to be better. I ought to be, I ought to do this. Goodness knows I spend far too much of my life there, even in marriage. Uh, but but he, he says that grace, it just, it exposes, it unmasks, if you will, uh, <laughs> uh, the ridiculousness of all of those games, the, the tiredness of all of those games that we play in response to the, the pressure to live up, to measure up. All the scorekeeping, even in marriage, right? All the scorekeeping that goes into marriage and all the oughts and all the comparisons and, and all of those, uh, again, keeping up with the proverbial Joneses and, or some kind of childhood ideal that you bring into this particular relationship but others as well, that, that all that photoshopping and filtering, all of that, he says, grace just yanks the rug out from under it. All that scorekeeping is gone gets gathered up rather in, into grace. And what we find there, when we live there, is a freedom. We are, Paul will use this language over and over again in the New Testament, that we are remarkably free from the unrelenting voice in our culture and in our world that says you gotta measure up, you gotta hurry up, you gotta matter, you gotta make it count. All of those things cut loose from the weight of carrying all of that, from the weight, Romans calls it a falling short. God's glory, from the, the weight and the requirements of, of, of measuring up, but also of requiring others to measure up. And here, I think, is where we find its application in this passage, that we are, we are set free from all that, that God is the one at work, that, that our call is simply to lay down our lives, that grace frees me to be present, to be, to be present in the ordinary or extraordinary circumstances of my life and yours even at this moment to show up and live to, to, to be free then to, to both give and receive the ordinary stuff of life like forgiveness compassion hospitality things like what we've read here we find I think grace that's at the heart of our passage. If we could go to the next slide, that out of that call to be content, all of that is rooted in, he quotes the Old Testament, because God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never abandon you. So he says, picking up the language of the Old Testament, we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me. And what I hear in this call is that when I live in the grace of what Christ has done for me, I am free from all kinds of things. But one of those things is the fear that, that prompts me to hold on, to protect, to, to reach for my own security. But instead, I am, I am met with the fear that, uh, or rather with the faith that overcomes that, that kind of fear that allows me uh, to live in the freedom of grace, helping 
others to feel at home and, and to know the grace that God has worked through Christ. To, to no longer live white-knuckled on my life, but to live in such a way that merely to be around me and in the spaces in which I inhabit because of God's grace is to know a place where there is a cure for weariness and fear and sadness. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at Park City KC.